Welcome to Focus, an audio series from Kolov, the Association of Returned Development Workers and Volunteers. I'm your host, Mark Malone. In the series, we take a varied look at issues and themes around global inequality and talk to people involved in different ways in challenging inequality and injustices wherever they are. Today's episode is an edit of a panel discussion on civil disobedience and social change that took place in early October in the Teachers Club in Dublin. On the panel are Manuel from Extinction Rebellion, or XR, the Climate Action Group. We have Ashley Hederman from Dublin Housing Action, the community organised response to the housing crisis, and Jerry Ann Sullivan, a teacher and educator who worked with the, within the Shelt Sea campaign, I guess one of the most significant social struggles in Ireland in recent decades. So while the discussion itself was intended to look at civil disobedience in the general sense, a lot of the conversation revolved around challenging preconceptions of the term, as well as the limitations of the term itself. A significant theme of the evening, however, focused on the question of XR's organising models, and its perhaps perceived lack of taking a political stance. It's only fair to point out that Manuel stood in at the last minute for the planned XR speaker who was unable to make it. XR were having a meeting downstairs actually to plan the week of action that's currently underway during this edit. However, it's worth noting that one contribution from the floor, and the contributions to the floor aren't included in the edit of this show because of sound quality reasons, I guess, but there's a big distinction between being non-partisan and non-political. Anyway, listeners can make up their own mind. Do like and subscribe to the podcast series. The next voice you'll hear is Tom Campbell from the Department of International Development, Manu. And we're grateful to Tom and Eilish and all the team out there for helping us run events like this. Thanks very much, uh, Mark and Elaine, Idea and Kolov for organising this, what I think is obviously a very topical, timely um, uh, theme. Um, Obviously, I'll just say very quickly, as I'm sure everybody in the room is very well aware, civil disobedience is is not something new. It's been around for a long time. Um, I suppose Martin Luther King brings to mind Mahatma Gandhi, uh, the struggles against apartheid in South Africa and many parts of the world, Zimbabwe or Sudan more recently. And of course, here in Ireland, we know the, the story of the water uh, strikes, the water activists, of course, shelter sea, and, and of course, we'll hear from Extinction Rebellion today and what they're doing. So, um, I think uh, obviously the, the tonight's session is really just focusing on what is the role of civil disobedience. Uh, <clears throat> can it be harnessed for collective action? Can it really make a difference, or should it? Should uh, activists be engaging more in the political process? As I think somebody in the Irish Times on Saturday was writing about, <laughs> uh, particularly addressing the climate, uh, uh, the Extinction Rebellion, saying that they also need to engage with political processes. So mm. you might have some thoughts, thoughts on that. About it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so really, and also I'm thinking, I've just very little, uh, just when I think of cli- um, civil disobedience, I mean, it can take all shapes and forms, but there's a recent book um, out about the water strikes and about Irish water by Michael Brennan called In Deep Water. And he writes about, you know, it's not just people, if you like, chaining themselves to fences and so on, but he spoke about grandmothers in one of the areas of Dublin literally putting their chairs outside their gates and sitting on the pavement where the uh, water meters were going to be installed and knitting. And that in itself was a form of civil disobedience. So there's many different varieties and many different styles. So on that note, I'm very pleased to welcome, we've got three members of our panel. Uh, we have, uh, sorry, we have Manuel, who's going to speak on behalf of Extinction Rebellion, who I know are organizing something, I think on Monday yeah. or next week. We have, uh, very pleased to invite Ashling or have with us today, Ashling Hederman, 
who is a community organiser with uh, North Dublin Bay Housing Crisis Committee and has been involved in a number of um, actions including Frederick Street and Apollo House possibly in Raise the Roof. She'll tell us a bit more about that herself anyway. Uh, we also have Jerry ann Sullivan who's been involved with Shell to Sea as many of you will be familiar with. Uh, Jerry ann is also a development educator and has worked with a number of organisations. So thanks guys. And maybe we'll just kick off and maybe go to you Manuel. Uh, maybe what, so is there a role for civil disobedience? Is it the right way to go or is it just going to provoke people and upset people? No, no, um, <laughs> absolutely. You know, civil, civil disobedience uh, is actually um, a really good current, current topic because um, we have found out that uh, governments, governments are not listening, uh, so we required uh, immediate action. So protests, as usual, are not having an effect, also petitions. So um, we as people and as organization, we said it's enough. So we need to act now, and the way we do it is basically on six steps of civil disobedience. Uh, if I mention it very quickly, so we need uh, to move a mass uh, community uh, from every part of the society and social backgrounds. So we, are think, we, we think that if we mobilize 3.5% of um, the population of, of the continent where you are, so we can have a, a huge impact. In this case, in Ireland, it would be 150,000 people. And then uh, we think that we can get into that number. In the past six months, we've been, you know, from 30 people to hundreds. And then uh, in our first rebellion week in April, uh, only 30 people from Extinction Rebellion mobilized 1,000 people. And we're expecting this year to mobilize around 5,000 or more, maybe more. And, and the fact that people are joining us very quickly is because they know that our way of doing these things are um, to take, or taking action are, are having a, an effect, uh, some effect, um, and challenging the government uh, somehow. And then uh, they are also disrupted. Um, they, we, we are completing no violence organization as well, and that attracts also people to join us. Uh, we break the law. It's one of uh, the civil disobedience that, that we have. And as Greta Thunberg says, um, uh, when your house is on fire, it's okay to break some windows uh, to save those inside, and that's what we're doing now. So we are breaking some windows and then putting the climate change uh, team on, on, on as part of the agenda. And um, yeah, yeah, we think that it's a, it's a really good uh, um, way to, to to tackle basically climate change. And next week we want to prove that um, again. So just remind us maybe what's, what's happening next week, or is it a secret? <laughs> uh, no, it's a, well, it's a secret and no secret. We have conversations now with the Gardi and try to create a relationship with them and let them know, basically, uh, that we're going to do something big next week. Um, no festival has been done in Ireland more than three days. We're going to have a festival of seven days. And it's organized not just for by Extinction Rebellion. Also, it's going to be organized by the people themselves. Um, uh, we are recruiting actually people, normal people, ordinary people actually to help us on this. And then it's going to be a week of disruptions, you know, from day one. So we're going to take a site of the, of the, the city and we're going to stay there for seven days. And during the week, we will have certain actions in different parts of the city, creating disruptions until the government can listen us, you know, listen to what, uh, what we try to bring into the, into the, into the climate action, basically. And, uh, we are willing to talk to the government, but as long as they take action on climate change, okay? So it's, it's, it's not like we're getting engaged first and then try to um, 
you know, final solution between us because we've seen in the past and they also declare a climate emergency, but a few weeks later, then they lobby all companies. And we have a lot of, a lot of examples actually that the government are basically being very sneaky in that way. So we want to see action first before we can um, engage with the, uh, with the government properly. Mm -hmm. Maybe actually, do you think such disruption can, can make a difference, or will it put maybe some people off? You know, that might actually turn people against. Uh, well, I'm, no, I'm maybe <laughs> just going to bring in Ashley, and then I can yeah, come back absolutely. to you. Is that okay? Um, yeah, we come back. Don't worry. Yeah. I think from where I'm coming from, I would be in, based in a community where people are affected by the housing crisis and trying to access emergency accommodation. And when we decided that we'd start taking individual actions to kind of like, because we had nothing else to lose, they had nothing else to lose, they couldn't access emergency accommodation, they had no roof over their head. Um, that we went uh, as a support and we just took an action. We didn't even know it was civil disobedience. Um, we just decided that we had enough and we were going to go to the council and go ahead to the management instead of the service frontline um, staff. Um, and on that, there was individual wins. So that empowered an awful lot of us to continue to organise and get more involved in direct action, so I presume. Um, Civil disobedience, I think, is a language thing that we need to, as well, kind of change, that it puts fear in people that maybe they might want to get involved, that it is about getting arrested, it is about um, breaking the law. Um, You're saying it is or it isn't necessarily about that, or it is? Uh, well, what is civil disobedience when you look yeah. at it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's breaking the structures and the legislation and that's in place, that's um, put in by the state. It's not actually put in place by us, the people, and they call us civil society. But we elect political parties to do this for us. Um, so I think that by doing this, the direct actions against the state, it does make a statement to make change. Okay. And just to tell us again, like in terms of the, the action you were involved in, was that that was specific on housing? On you were mentioned a couple of places there, did you? Yeah. Um, so was there an example there that it woke people up or so like a few things? Or? There's the two two examples. The Apollo House would have been yeah. one example to kind of an attack on NAMI and the state to show that they weren't providing the proper emergency accommodation. That there were, there was people affected. There was people out on the streets. And then you could look at the direct action um, in Summerhill and Frederick Street, where that was a private landlord that was exposed. And then we also seen the force of the state coming in to put pressure on those that took actions to say no more, um, which is a very clear image that we all have in our mind now is the Bally's and the Guard fighting us. Um, so the, the actions that it did do, it kind of showed people as well um, that they could get involved. It was their kind of actions to start making people or start making the private sector take responsibility and yeah. ownership and i guess obviously for individuals can be empowered by going through that process themselves maybe who might have been used to being i think because housing is a physical thing struggle. it's something mm -hmm. that is very personal mm -hmm. to us all and um, that it's something that we have to fight for and um, if we don't fight for it we're just going to be subjected to the services for a long time so maybe I'd be interested like in terms if there's a broader housing movement, but I might maybe come back yeah. on that if that's okay. And maybe Jerry ann if you want to come in, I know you've been involved directly in Shell to Sea and maybe other actions. And we know obviously that was a... 
Yeah. You're welcome. Have a seat. Have a seat. We're just going ahead. <laughs> so, no worries. Jerry Ann, obviously, that was a long and bitter struggle. Maybe it's, it's still going on. It's not quite in the news at the moment or the limelight, but we know that was, uh, you know, but if it wasn't for you guys and everybody else, we probably wouldn't, wouldn't draw attention as much to these things. But how is, when you reflect back now on that experience or that, you know, practice, what do you think are the, you know, have you, would you like to so share with us? So reflecting back on um, direct action in the Shelter yeah, campaign. Yeah, civil disobedience, I suppose, you know, blockading yeah. or... So this is why it was such a puzzle in my mind trying to prepare yeah. for this, because I'd yeah. never used the term civil disobedience okay. in general, thinking about Shelter Sea or my own activism or other things I've been involved in. Okay. So I'm part of another group called Klushik for Global Justice, and I would have first come across direct action when I joined them, kind of around 2005, and they'd be a group oriented towards taking direct action. Direct, um, action. direct action. So rather than... Sorry. Um, <laughs> rather than waiting for asking the government to try to fix something, the idea that you act directly yourself to fix the problem. So for example, rather than um, trying to demand that the government stop extracting fossil fuels, that you yourselves just go and stop the extraction of fossil fuels. Or um, rather than... Uh, demanding or campaigning or lobbying for Board Nimona to start um, repairing bogs and refilling the drains they've dug out. So one, one action we did in 2009 was um, we ran a, a nine-day direct action camp. Actually, there has been camps longer than three days. And um, we refilled the bogs ourselves. So, the, so that's kind of direct action is, um, I think it's a broader concept than civil disobedience. And then some Sometimes when you're taking direct action, yeah. it ends up being civil disobedience um, because maybe the thing, the action you need to take to, to fix your situation, whether it's getting housing or um, protecting your land from Shell coming onto it to build a dangerous gas pipeline that's going to harm your community, that might end up being civil disobedience. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, if I think about Shell to Sea, the it started around the year 2000 when uh, the plans for a, an inland gas refinery and a raw gas pipeline were announced in northwest Mayo. And people were organizing and protesting and objecting to the planning permission and stuff for, for a number of years from between 2000 and 2005. But then in 2005, um, Shell sought um, a high court order to prevent the local people from interfering with their construction. And so that put the local people who were stopping it from happening in the position of, of, being, of disobeying a high court order. Um, so when they were, when they were um, imprisoned for contempt of court, that, that, okay, I can say, yeah, that's definitely civil disobedience. But what they were doing to me was direct action. Mm -hmm. They were, um, the state was failing them, failing to protect in their eyes the community from something dangerous. So they were protecting it themselves. And so, you know, the, the language of like, is it civil disobedience it's or direct action would never come into it. Yeah. It like the plain language is just that they were protecting their community yeah, because yeah. they had to. Um, and then, so then on from that, so they were in prison, as I'm sure everybody knows about, about that, yeah. but they were in prison for 94 days. And then Shell came under, I guess, massive public pressure and sought to drop the injunction. So, I mean, the, there's lots of different wins for direct action and uh, 
in the Sheltic Sea campaign that you can look at, but some of them are very stark as to what, like, what can be achieved. And so um, then beyond that, the, the community continued their blockade and delayed that project. So they stopped, they physically stopped with their, by, by blockading the entrance to the construction site for 16 months from that time. Um, uh, yeah, because they had to. So, um, yeah, I'm. I, I know that. Well, I feel that the the what the Rossport Five were doing was definitely civil disobedience, but more broadly, I think direct action is a better fit for describing a lot of the different yeah. stages and um, activities that people. And undertook. obviously, there's. I mean, there's a huge amount of thought and planning and strategy that goes into it, and argument and debates, and it's a long, you know, process, organic. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are experiencing that. I mean, do you do you learn? Do you do you do you practice tactics? Do you do you have strategies, or is it just a kind of spontaneous thing? Or no, no, no. Uh, basically, uh, how do you work around some of the challenges of that? Yeah, when people you know, come to us, uh, we have uh, MVDAs or non-violent direct actions courses. Mm -hmm. So in those uh, trainings, uh, we uh, basically teach uh, the principles of XR, the values then they have to be, you know, uh, part of it. Um, the challenges, uh, the legal challenges, then they could be in a certain situations uh, when they uh, deal with uh, arrestable, you know, situations. Um, also, we have role plays. Uh, we also uh, share experiences from people who had already experiences on, on activism or not. And then, uh, yeah, because the amount of people that we get from different backgrounds, uh, so, uh, those different skills uh, come um, along with, with the organization, and then uh, different affinity groups or you know small groups are set up as uh, action groups. So, but then uh, those skills um, then are very very diverse. Uh, you know, help help the organization, and we are, of course we struggle as well with certain political views uh, within the you know XR as well. And it's it's a, it's a really great mix. And how uh, are decisions made? Oh yeah, so we have a consensus. Uh, um, so basically, we use uh, uh, signs, you know, to communicate to each other. So if we have a group and then there is a proposal, if we all agree, use uh, just hands. Uh, if nobody, if someone doesn't agree with that, so we block it, you know, with this sign. Um, if you want to say, uh, you know, something directly or, or you know, want to add something, you use, use technical points. So we use a kind of a, a, a consensus signs uh, to to agree in something or not. And if all the group agrees in a, in a specific action, direct action, so then we go ahead with it, within the principles and values of XR. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way it is. And then these small groups communicate to each other, and then we have coordinated actions between all of us and around the country as well. Yeah, so this... this Does that resonate with you guys, or...? Um. <laughs> <laughs> or is it... I think with the housing, it's a little bit different because we've been organising around those that are affected yeah. and that they try to take the lead on a direct action or civil disobedience action. Um, so with organising on that with the housing and evictions, or it can be very spontaneous. It can be just like we have to organise within 24 hours. We have to make sure that their needs come first um, and that their voice is heard. So some of the actions have been very spontaneous, but then intense during the action um, in organising and agreements and different kind of political views um, 
coming to the forefront and then trying to keep it grassroots and not to yeah. be um, politically led, which is very hard That's to do. Especially when people sign up to get involved, they, they get involved in a, an ordinary capacity, but, but politics sometimes does come to the forefront in the discussions. <laughs> but um, yeah, the organising and Apollo House did, that was a, a pre kind of organising for the structure um, of how Apollo House would have been ran. Um, from the grassroots up, like from the volunteers, majority of the volunteers just fell into the positions and naturally knew what to do um, because they came from many different care professions to volunteer. Um, so they knew what to do, so they just came in and took their role immediately yeah. um, to provide yeah. that kind of service. Yeah. Did you want to say anything about that? Or is... um... So. You know, I think yeah, it's really interesting because I think we're talking about two totally different, different things here. Like, yeah. but in um, in the context of Mayo, what those things, two things were, were actually both happening. Um, so there was an like an affected community, and they were had their own organising processes, and they were having meetings, and it was based on what needed to happen straight away, and it was organic and the same dynamics of lots of political groups trying to take over sometimes, um, and then. Uh, Rossport Solidarity Camp was set up just before the Rossport Five went to to jail, and that was people from um, all around the world in the end. But so people who were not from the affected community but wanted to show solidarity, and that that was set up as a year-round protest camp that was organised on non-hierarchical principles and using consensus decision making, um, and would. Um, that existed then for nine years. So those two, those two groups were, were acting a lot of the time together, one in solidarity with the other. Um, but they're yeah, very, very different um, organizing cultures, possibly. And what I see in Extinction Rebellion, and I, can't, I feel like I can't really comment so much because I've, I've attended some meetings and I actually, um, uh, yeah, this year is unusual because the group that I'm part of, Inclusion for Global Justice, um, um, and activists that I know from Rossport Solidarity mm. Camp were asked to help deliver some of mm. the NVDA mm. trainings. Now, we objected to them being called NVDA trainings because um, from our experience in, in CARB and Rossport, the idea of nonviolence is very, like, it's very subjective and people have different ideas about what violence is. Very often, even if, you know, as well, you might decide what you're doing is nonviolent, but it might be called violence by somebody else. So saying that it's always nonviolent might, um, yeah, it, it could have unintended consequences for other people who could be seen as violent. Um, and so do you have some we, reservations we would call, we would about the it, Extinction Rebellion approach coming um, from that experience of yeah. that glue shocked kind of perspective, so which is a been around yeah, for some I have, time. like I had loads of kind of because I think it'd be good to share them. Not, I'm not putting in the yeah, spot. Yeah, no, and I don't want to critique it, Extinction Rebellion yeah. because it's like it's it's incredible to see this huge upswelling of people who are so passionate. But um, I think that there's a really interesting thing happening where the term NVDA is being used a lot. Just um, explain that very So nonviolent direct action is like an acronym. NVDA, yeah. An acronym for nonviolent direct action, um, and. When we were in Rossport Solidarity Camp, we would have run lots of training weekends, or not really training weekends, but weekends for people to get involved in the camp. We would have called them Introduction to Direct Action because of this this thing of nonviolence is is so subjective and 
um, context specific and we didn't want to be condemning the use of violence, for example, where people need to defend themselves or, you know, through history we've seen how violent and non-violent actions you know, have, have very often been used together. Like, so like um, Hannah Shee Skeffington throwing a brick through a window, is that violence? Is it, you know, is it always, yeah, it is, is it always clear cut? Just see what um, people think about that now. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, that'd be one thing is the using, using this term NVDA, um, I, it made me wonder um, a couple of things. One was that, are we afraid to just call something a protest? Does it have to be called something fancy that sounds a bit more jazzy and new, like maybe this is going to be a silver bullet to save us all, um, rather than you know, what, what we actually need, maybe, which is just to create more solidarity and organizations that actually do the, the core things of movement building, like education and organizing and action and building building communities that are going to create alternatives and things like that. So do we, do we need to call it NVDA to get people to come and join? Or can we just organize a protest? And then some of the trainings, so we'll help deliver maybe five or six trainings. And then gradually XR wanted to take them over and run it in their own way. Um, and we were running them because we were all had a, been all involved in Rossport Solidarity Camp. We were very much putting it in the context and experience of Carib and Rossport and this is how direct action was used in this context and this is what the community did, this is what the solidarity activists did, these were all the different forms of blockading that happened. This experience uh, is wealth of experience of blockading roads for example exists here in Ireland if you're for people to, to access um, but then I'd be uneasy about if you take the idea of civil disobedience and direct action and you remove the context then like does it have the same meaning or is it is a totally can different I thing? Can just ask, sorry, to Manuel there, because I know you might have to leave early and I'll open it up to the crowd, by the way, in a minute. You know, people say to me, look, I'm all for Extinction Rebellion. And, but, you know, in light of what maybe um, Gerriana said, would it not make more sense to be specifically targeting, like you targeted private developers or NAMA, to be targeting, you know, the oil businesses' offices or the government buildings or, you know, the peat burning fire stations? Or airport expansion. Or airport expansion <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> rather than blocking people in the street, which might get the news for a couple of days, but is going to turn off possibly, I won't say ordinary workers, but bus drivers, taxi drivers, people going about their business and may even put people off. Would it not be better yeah. to be more strategic I, I in your targeting? Is this not an issue? Yeah, no, we've done that actually. Um, no, will it? no, we have we have done it. I mean I glue myself, you know, against the Department of Climate Action, okay, and, and that wasn't disrupting actually people, it's just actually the department itself, right? So uh, the blockades of uh, streets uh, it means we call it swarming, it's basically we step just for seven minutes there. We ask the, the people who are in the traffic to turn off the engines for the climate, it's something positive. And then we talk to them and give them biscuits, right? And give them, you know, uh, cakes. And then they start engaging with us. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a form of disruption, yes, but at the same time it's a way of um, engagement with, with people. Then after seven minutes, we disappear, we split, right? Okay. And the traffic goes. And then we go to another street and we do the same. So there's a bit of a slow uh, pace over here, you know, but that's the way how we, we, we interact with people. So we, we don't want to piss them off. Uh, we just want to bring awareness to what, what we do. And then, yeah, we have disrupted uh, the Minister of Richporting, you know, um, conferences. We just, uh, I jumped with, with a banner, you know, in front of his conferences as well. You've probably seen it. 
and on the news as well. Um, we did, uh, you know, um, last week, one of the rebels went to one of the shareholders uh, meetings for uh, Providence uh, Oil Company. And then uh, next week, we're going to target industries. Okay, it's not just the government, it's also the corporations that produce, the polluters basically that produce, um, um, you know, CO2. And uh, we do also don't agree that uh, the government are taxing people instead of the polluters, you know, the, 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 the companies that produce the pollution, they should be taxed. Uh, but this is the kind of disruption that we are talking about, right? And in the case of no violence, I actually, I'm very pleased because I was in one of your courses, I was trained by you guys now. Now I remember you. <laughs> so one of my courses, main courses, was one of yours. And yeah, you were very direct saying, look, this is a direct action, this is a no violent. But the, the term no violent, uh, violent actions uh, brings people, you know, to Extinction Rebellion, because uh, we have examples like the uh, Luther Martin King or um, Gandhi, you know, movements as well, that show us that non-violent movements like this are successful. And if we call it non-violent direct actions. So, uh, I agree with you, probably it's, it's a probably fancy term, but people relate very quickly to say, okay, I can, I can have a direct action uh, and have an effect, and it's non-violent, you know, at that case. So, and you know, if there's a bit of violence, uh, from the, the Garda to us, that's another thing. But uh, our term is not to fight back. It's basically, you know, like the other movements, it's just to get it because we have them more moral, you know, um, let's say, uh, vision in, in all of this, yeah. So when, when uh, for, for example, a lot of our members come from different parties, right? So we are beyond politics. It's one of our principles. And then we have to start thinking, OK, what does it mean when someone from a political party join us? Are they come with a, a hidden agenda? Are they trying to influence the movement? So then when we say, we are beyond politics here, so you keep your political statements away from us. You don't bring flags to our, uh, our you know, actions. Uh, you don't talk about political you know, uh, stories or left or right or whatever. So we are all here inclusive, okay? So we all the time, uh, and I was hammered yesterday because actually I addressed one, one politician at TD myself. And it says, look, you cannot do that because people will think that you know, we are from your party. It's just no, right? And then I go hammered myself, okay? So uh, from the guardianship uh, circle. But we try to uh, put it as, you know, separate these two somehow. When you are an extinction rebellion, you are over the, you know, these principles and you don't have any, we don't have any political affiliation with any party, okay? But Manuel, can yeah. you not, how can you separate the devastation of the planet from, say, capitalism? The devastation of having some political analysis or inequality and social justice? Yeah, well, climate change doesn't know about left and right, you see? Climate change, I know what you mean. The what, you're you, what you're trying to tell me is, what you're trying to tell me here, the, capi capitali the capitalism actually are the polluters, yeah, in that case. And we have to target capitalism actually to reduce the, the pollution here. But our objective, okay, here is to tackle climate change. So if someone then comes to our uh, movement, is a politician, and his party is actually polluting the planet, he's accountable. His party is accountable. We want to put actions against his party. Now, that person needs to decide. Or you are part of their action or you are out, you see? So, but they all are accountable. They know that. And when they try to somehow scale or, you know, infiltrate the movement, we stop them back, okay? So now, consensus. Uh, because we were forming the movement. Uh, I was one of the first ones, you know, actually to start doing direct actions. So we were seen as a leaders, right? 
as, as, that is a no-no in, in, in Extinction Rebellion. We are, we, there's no leaders, there are facilitators in this case. So then when we start feeling our group then, that we were uh, leading too many of the actions, we stood back. And the way to do it is creating more affinity groups and instead of you know, doing ourselves about the actions, it's gonna be other people, okay? So then we, we bring ourselves back. In this moment, after Rebellion Week, I'm gonna step back because I have taken too much responsibility and I feel that I, I have a bit of hierarchy there, so I'm gonna step back. And then somebody else that we have trained in the MVDAs or you know, uh, this training, sorry to say okay, it's the way we call it, so they're gonna take over uh, and then facilitate the, the, rest, the, the other actions. But uh, yeah, we are struggling between you know, the political parties, you know, infiltrating uh, Extinction Rebellion, but what we want is that more people join us so that the other people who are not from the political party somehow grows the movement and then keeps things in balance. But people who are in Extinction Rebellion who are politically you know, motivated, they wanna be accountable if they don't address climate change. Clear on that. What you're describing is right. the, like what we'd all like to organize as we do come up the against enough yeah. as the movements start getting bigger and more voices come in like what you've been saying and it's hard to keep that drive forward but i feel in the housing movement when you look at like trying to change them roles we're also going to come up against barriers of addiction mental health and um, children and um, homelessness mm. so an awful lot more kind of mm. um, personal barriers that are involved and to be able to uh, commit the time and and understanding the, the kind of structures because like you have to remember an awful lot of our uh, people in communities don't live by these kind of structures they're conformed by the state structures so they they believe that that's the way that they have to live so i think education into kind of how we organize um because i remember my first meeting and all this i was like no nah. No, it's not for you. No, not for me. I was very overwhelmed by it. It wasn't something that I was like kind of happy to be involved in because I didn't understand yeah, yeah. Um, that that was part of consensus. Like lots of discussion and yeah, and and I was a bit frightened by all this, mm. and I thought it was very. I didn't. I thought it was very um, dark and reminded me of I kind of like that. Um, in our circles. Yeah. It was probably people, activists, that would be organising a lot longer than we were, yeah. that were bringing that idea to us. Um, so for the kind of uh, consensus and the organising for us, we find that that kind of style can put people off in engaging as well. So I find finding this easier when I'm coming back to a concrete example, say in the case of Shell to Sea and Rossport Solidarity Camp. In our Rossport Solidarity Camp, the protest camp, we would have used consensus decision making and I guess some of the style of organising that uh, you're describing, though I have to say I haven't, I don't know how much they actually are similar in reality um, without knowing more about what's going on inside Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. Um, and then the, the local community was organizing in their own way. The Rossport Solidarity Camp people would have gone and sat at the back of the meeting and listened and tried to understand what's going on, but not kind of imposing or bringing, uh, like people, making people do hand signals and things like that would have been really weird. Um, and so those two different styles kind of coexisted and like, I think there was synergy at some times and I'm sure there was like tension at other times, um, but yeah. It was um, they were coexisting 
And were um, there political groups trying to get in, or was that okay, or? Yeah, um, yeah, that was all part of it. Like so, yeah, I think that 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 dynamic is going to be there all the time. Um, and there's going to be times when people are going to want to be seen to support you, and then there was other times when the community had no support and were being labelled in the media as, you know, it's an IRA campaign. They're all yeah. dissidents, and um, people who later, you know, chimed in and supported them wouldn't touch them with a barge pole or support them at all, um, because they were they were really holding something up. And that was something I forgot to say earlier, was I suppose the massive impact they were having by, by direct action and education and organizing and all of the other things they were doing in their movement, not just direct action by itself, but all of everything they were doing, um, objecting through planning process and lobbying and everything, um, was having a massive impact. Um, so they were stopping a project that the state saw as really strategic and important and delaying it for 13 years. With the 13 years. Yeah, 13 years delay. Like the initial cost estimate was 800 million. The final cost was 4.3 billion. Um, and the domain developer shell sold out of the project last year at a loss of 1 billion. So people kind of see the community as not having won, but like Shell didn't win either. And so like it was a hugely successful use of direct action, but also not just taken by itself, all this other stuff that was happening was a community responding through like cycles of action and learning and reflection and like massive, like you could see it as an example of community development yeah. um, and empowerment and and then... I'll take some more yeah. points and we, we'll come back as well because we've still got a bit of time. So you, I know, want to come in and... Yeah. Do you want, want to go first? Or no? um, yeah, it was just a point that actually ties to the theme of um, both Julianne's point and your point as well around kind of the politicisation and, and uh, I suppose the propaganda sometimes as well that can be used. So, like the state is sovereign and it needs to be seen to uh, be the monopoly on maintaining social order. So the propaganda any, by the state now, or the propaganda? I'm getting, I'm going to get to that point. Yeah. So basically, it's um, like obviously the state needs to be seen to be holding its monopoly on social order, um, and anything, any kind of action that challenges that social order, civil unrest, or civil disobedience, or whatever that you want to term a direct action. I know you say like let's not get too caught up in the language of civil disobedience, but I think it's very important to understand that. I've witnessed uh, that term actually being used in a negative way where the state has actually pushed the language of civil disobedience and militant protesters and dissident republicans being involved in movements as a means to instill fear in the public and try to uh, like not get people involved, you know? So um, I suppose when it comes to civil disobedience, like what is the opposite of disobedience it's obedience and when we think of civil obedience it's usually um, behavior that's within the confines of legislation um, but when I think of the movements that we've been involved in I don't see it as disobedient instead I see it as we are trying to challenge legislation that's completely immoral so we have a right to private property in our constitution which means that uh, developers are able to sit on vacant properties for as long as they want. They're able to drip feed properties onto the market in order to keep inflation of housing and rent quite high 
that the rest of us struggle. That technically is civil obedience because it's within the legislation. They're well able to do that. It's and it, we can't. It's really difficult to challenge because of the way our constitution is set up. You know, um, the movements that we done with Frederick Street and Summer Hill, we basically purposely target private property. And as soon as you challenge the state and its legislation. Uh, all of a sudden you can see the brute force come in there where they try to politicise it, they try to use propaganda as a means to instil fear, to separate uh, those people involved in the movements as, as people who are unruly and not civil yeah. and uh, all this kind of BS, like, you know. But the reality is that, like, those movements were trying to highlight something quite specific. One, it was trying to highlight vacant properties in the midst of a massive housing crisis and ask the question of how is that immoral and why do we have laws that are allowing this to happen? And the second thing was trying to highlight that the council can compulsory purchase order houses. But because the way our legislation is set up, they're not, like they have to go through the courts. That takes so long to be able to buy that property. Um, and the way the system is set up, like the councils can't just go and be like, you've sat on a vacant property for 10 years, we're taking this off you now and we're going to actually bring it into public ownership. Because technically that's going to take away from the profits of that person who is, has ownership of that house, you know. Um, so I would be just kind of conscious with regards to using the term civil disobedience, because if we can look at it in, in the opposite of what civil obedience is, yeah. It's technically acting within the frameworks that the state has set out for us, and they're actually some of them are heavily immoral. So it's action on the basis of challenging immorality is what I would say. How these things are framed is important. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys want to come back on any of those points? Yeah. So okay, just to clarify, so we we said uh, yeah probably. You explain it well, you're, you're right. It's, we are beyond politics, yes, that's what we, we try to say here, right? So we welcome everybody. So if they are from political parties or not, that's, that's absolutely fine. But uh, inside of the movement it, uh, itself, uh, we see that people who come from, from political parties, they are very enthusiastic, you see? Um, because they have also their backgrounds in, politi in politics. So what we say is, if you are in a, in a creative you know, action, you don't have to put, you know, your action to be right or left. It's, it's about climate change. So you don't have to be, you know, really political in this moment. So you, you, you just have the action to raise the awareness of climate change. And yeah, we, we try to separate ourselves. We don't have any alignment with, with political parties, but at the same time, yeah, we have members on that. Okay, so we try to be inclusive. It's one of the principles that we have. So yeah, sorry if I probably did explain, uh, you know, differently, but yeah, we are not exclusive inclusive. Um, so what was the other point? The other point was, um, yeah, oh, so the global, the global part. Movement. Yeah, the global that, that local connection or local reality that, you know, water or shelter sea or housing has yeah, that, or the many other. I think you talked about a very important point. The fact that we are getting so many people is because it's global. Okay, it's affecting everybody. So I have family that is down in Venezuela, actually, oil and oil still actually suffering from uh, uh, climate, climate, climate change, and they join, you know, XR and there and so on. So obviously your cases are very local and probably wouldn't have as this power than we have. But we reached the, the point that it's, it's now global and it's a global problem. So, and we think that this movement will grow so much and will continue to do it is because climate change won't stop, you know, at some point. So, 
what I, if, if we do changes in different countries and you know the movement is successful in some countries, it's going to be a massive change. After that, I can tell you. I can tell you what's going to happen. So what we think is that the Citizens' Assembly, so that we, we have here in Ireland, we are very proud to, to have it. It's just people randomly you know, uh, working in, in one subject, in the case of climate change, and they give recommendations as the best way to go forward. If the government doesn't take this seriously, so then it's where we have the problem. So we will focus on citizens' assemblies, you know, resolutions or you know, recommendations. This is basically the, the group that we're going to listen. And I suppose if we, at some point, get into the government, so it's, it's the citizens' assemblies should, should run the, somehow these decisions and, and know a specific party itself. That's the vision that I, I probably can you know, give you right now. But it's the people who need to you know, take power and, and probably you know, know this establishment and have decided to take the decisions for, from, from us, you know, at some point. Yeah, I think we need to really start organising more in the communities and start empowering people to get more involved. Like that, there needs to be more creativity to get more children involved, to those that are affected involved. Um, to upscale it, I think we've had like national marches where we're getting 10,000 out onto the streets. We need to get that bigger. We need to start networking more. We need to get more people involved. Um, how we do that is in the communities. We really need to start basic, and, and it's got to do with the organising and education in, in our communities. What, and we have to look kind of like what a home is and how do we develop a home. Um, because, in our, like, and we have to link movements as well. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we like linking with direct provision because the similarities between direct provision yeah, and emergency accommodation yeah. is very similar. And we want to abolish direct provision and we want to abolish emergency accommodation. You know, we want to have homes. So connecting the movements is another thing that we really need to look at climate change. We do have to connect it with the way we build houses um, and how we can have them for a very long time that are going to be effective. My house is a sustainable house. It's a bare right, <laughs> no fire. Um, so like to have that, and it is a massive difference in the quality of your living, you know, so. I think upscaling it, we need to start taking more actions. More people have to take more personal responsibility in taking those actions and not relying on the movements that are already in place. Um, and I think that we can empower them, we can train them, we can share our skills, we can share our failures, our successes. And I think that's like kind of a way of moving forward with the housing movement. I'm really excited about what you're, what you're talking about. Um, and I, yeah, if I want to be involved in something, I guess I've been struggling for months being like, why do I dislike Extinction Rebellion so much? I've been waiting here for the last decade for like, you know, an environmental justice and a climate justice movement to have a massive upsurge in Ireland. Um, but I wanted something that was connected to the housing movement and to inequality and um, yeah all the injustices that are generated by capitalism that we need to change, not something that's separate, like going back to the 1990s, it's all just about the environment by itself. So I've been trying to put my finger on it, like why I'm not comfortable with Extinction Rebellion. And um, I think what it is, is what you said about that environment is beyond left or right. I can't remember your exact words, but that would kind of, that would worry me a lot is that, um, because it's become so urgent and it is so urgent and it's such, we're at such a desperate point in terms of the science that we could forget that 
essentially we already have a climate justice movement that has been linking environment and social justice for a long time and I yeah it's it's not time to forget about people and equality and um, and all of the yeah global inequality when, when we're dealing with the environment and like, in the way so, the water protesters made links with the fact that people were <clears throat> There was movements in South America, for example, against privatization of water. In fact, you know, there was a lot of lessons learned yeah. from that. So yeah, that's yeah. making a connection yeah. about power and control. Or the way Shell to Sea had made connection with the struggles of the Ogoni people. Yeah. You know, the same yeah. oil yeah. fossil fuel companies who are causing our, our yeah. climate change. So I think there's the yeah, language change is needed. Like, so when you say it's all about climate change, I think it needs to be about climate justice. I think there's another thing we didn't touch on, which is that Extinction Rebellion is going with this angle of no shaming, no blaming. I don't think that that is right. Like there's vulture, sh vulture funds that we can name and <laughs> there's people. And yeah, no, uh, we, our third demand for the government, one is a Tell the Truth Act now and just, just transition, okay? And just transition means it's about people, okay? So uh, climate change obviously will bring our struggle to all of us in many ways. Our farmers actually are very affected for that as well. So then so we are pushing the government actually to help our you know, people to go from uh, sustainable, you know, uh, intensive farming to sustainable farming. And this is also about inequality and, and, and people itself. So uh, we include you know, all these uh, um, methods of, of inequality in our third demand, which is just transition. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah. I hear you what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I, can say, I guess it's in defense of Extinction Rebellion, because <laughs> I feel like I'm being really critical. But I think they've hit on something amazing, which is that it is massively empowering to take action in really large groups. Like, it's absolutely transformational. Right. It allows people like me, who are not very intellectual or you know politically advanced, I haven't read all of the books, um, to take part in something political, to become political. And um, I think this huge scope for using direct action more. Um, but I think we just got to keep linking it back into to justice and organizing in our communities and education and all the things have to go with it. Do you want to say something about that? Um, Being involved in education, you mentioned education. Yeah. You, I know you're involved in education. Um, I think that links with kind of your career as well. Um, like when you said about getting arrested and your career, when you take a direct action, it doesn't have to be a result of an arrest right away. Any, like, any action that is going to be empowering to you to get involved in the movement, you can always opt out and say, no, I don't want to be arrested. Um, that's a personal choice that you personally have to make. Um, so I feel like for myself, I've, put, I've been in situations, but I still have a job. And I think the job that I have is very empowering to me. And my managers would be actually very supportive of what we're doing because it is social justice. Um, for the education part of things, I feel that we, the training needs to go into the services. We need to educate around rights, um, kind of what the legislation is, how legislation is made, how, do we, how can we bend it, educate people how the legislation is made, like through the political parties we're going through, back to this stage again, in understanding how your society is built up. I think an awful lot of people are forgetting about the most vulnerable in society. They don't understand. They don't have voting rights. Um, if they do, they're not aware about it. 
Um, how do we register them up? How do we educate them on all these kind of different things? Um, I think we can do that through the schools. I think that we can do that through linking in with services, with the youth workers, um, with um, many different civic, uh, civil societies, and the Irish Traveller movement. Like, so there's an awful lot of different ways that we can educate. Um, like what you are doing with the NV non-violent direct action. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's an education yeah. in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that trainings is one way, and share, skill sharing um, is another way that we can pass our knowledge onto somebody else. Um, on the taking risks, I think that's a really huge question um, that we didn't get into at all. And I think that it's really important that um, people make their own decision about what's going to work for them and don't assume that, that you know the consequences of doing something which is possibly very risky, unpredictable. You don't know how you're going to react in the situation. You don't know how um, other actors are going to behave. So I think any organization that's telling you, you should do this and the consequences will be this, doesn't know what the hell they're talking about yeah. because like you know all you can talk about is past experience and previous context and I have I know what happened to me in that context on that day in that campaign in that situation when the political pressure on the guardie to do this was x you know what's going to happen next week I don't have a notion so if I was you know I know I've been in situations where I've probably inadvertently, unintentionally encouraged people to take risks where they hadn't fully considered all the consequences for them. And I know I've, I've taken actions where I had no idea how it was going to affect me afterwards. So I think only you can decide that. And that has to be balanced with like, t doing these actions is sometimes massively empowering. It could be like the, the best thing you've ever done in your life. Yeah. And we so know that, in that parts of the world, people don't even have those options. Yeah, yeah. and we, the yeah. yeah. So we we have the opportunity to do something that yeah other people don't, but but no one can decide for you. And I think if I was if I'm taking direct action, I would like to be part of a long-term organisation that's commit of people who are committed to supporting each other over you know court appearances that could happen over two years or longer, who are going to be there for you. Yeah. Um, and a part of, and it comes back to the education thing as well. As if this is happening as part of a community of people, and the, the activism, like, and the education are one and the same thing. You know, self-organized education and skill sharing, and um, then that that support is possible and realistic, and it'll it'll yeah it'll be capable of happening. How that works in in an organisation that's growing as fast as Extinction Rebellion, I don't know how that that works exactly. Um, so yeah, I think it's yeah no, I guess difficult. It's a, you know, I share completely what you're saying. You know, each person has his own you know opinion about that, uh, and we explain as much as we can legally what would have happened if what would have happened all you know. But nobody knows. It's, uh, so we know that we have uh, direct actions and unarrestables, and there are direct actions that are non-arrestables. So in those who are arrestables, then in my case, so I will go the, the whole way. But if it happens, but if it's, if it's uh, if, but no, but if you want, you are not arrestable, so you will be in another, you know, supporting and, and so on. Yeah, but uh, we try to explain as much as so we can. 
I'm going to bring this discussion to a close. I'm sorry, we could we could go on all, all night, but I, I'm not even going to attempt to sum up. But <laughs> I think it's been incredibly valuable, and certainly I've learned an awful lot. And there's a lot of questions, obviously, that I hope these discussions will go on. Um, it's incredibly important, and we really value, you know, whatever our critiques or whatever, you know, you can't not admire people who do put themselves out there, you know. Uh, so. It's really great to have everybody here and to hear from the audience and have this discussion because I think it's this learning and sharing from each other and the different social movements who come from different experiences. I think that's where the, the real value is. So we need to thank, first of all, Kolov and Idea for putting that together. You've been listening to Focus, an audio series from Kolov, the Association of Return Development Workers and Volunteers. 